Well, again, I just want to reiterate to all of you how thankful we really are that you decided to carve out a little bit of time and spend it here with us today. Seriously, we never, ever take that for granted. So thank you for making Grumlaw Online a part of your week. Hey, really quick, I I just want to address all of you who are kind of on the other side of this screen. Obviously, we aren't privy with exactly who is watching. We just kind of have a number of of people who are watching each and every week. And uh, to those of you who have been watching online for quite a while, maybe uh, you've been watching basically since the pandemic hit, back in March of of 2020. Uh, And to those of you who have been watching for a while, I want to issue you both a challenge as well as an invitation. Uh, We want to invite you to show up in person. Now, when I say that, I want to be clear that I know that there are a number of you who are watching right now, and the reason that you are not showing up in person is simply because of health. Uh, There are either very real health reasons for you, for a family member, for people that you are close to that uh, would preclude you from joining us in person in these large group gatherings. Uh, But there's a lot of you, if, if we're honest, the reason that you aren't showing up in person at this point, it's because of habit. And to you, as your pastor, I just want you to really examine and ask yourself that question. Is it because of health or is it because possibly habit? And if it is, if you have that honest moment and it's because of habit, I want to invite you to join us this upcoming Sunday. We have all seen throughout this pandemic uh, that, that this leads obviously in large part to isolation, what we've experienced here over these last 14, 16 months. Um, And we all need that community. We all need to be in community with other people who are also taking that next step towards Jesus. And I just want to invite you to show up. And honestly, please hear my heart in this. It's not to scold you. It's not to reprimand you. It's to just express we miss you so, so much. And if you have not joined us in person uh, in quite a while or maybe ever, you have no idea what you are missing. Uh, This whole online thing, it was never meant to be a substitute. It was always meant to be a supplement. And so if you still need to be supplemented here for a little bit longer because of some very real health issues. Again, please keep joining us online. But for those of you where this has just become a habit, it's just more convenient to stay sitting in your living room, please take that step this upcoming Sunday and join us in person. We really, really hope to see you then. We miss you so, so much. Now, as you have all likely gathered, today we are entering into part four of a five-part series titled At the core, uh, which means that we've officially crossed the halfway point. It also means that if you're here today for the first time, uh, you have missed better than half of this series. And if that describes you, I'd really, really encourage you to catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages, uh, or I say this just about every week, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Now, I recognize what I'm about to say, I'm being a bit biased, but it's really, really important that you listen to these messages in this series, because In this series, we're answering the question, what makes Grumlaw, Grumlaw? What is it that sets us apart? Or or better yet, what are those core convictions? What are those core values that really drive us? Who are we as a church at the core? And so if you are watching today and you call this place your church home, uh, getting this question right here answered definitely ought to be important to you. If you're new around here, You're maybe just considering showing up here on a more regular basis. This should definitely be something that you ought to get answered as well. But most importantly, but by virtue of the fact that you are literally just watching, that you tuned in here today, you're at least curious about this Jesus guy. You're at least interested in learning maybe just a little bit more. 
And, and while these values, yes, are definitely at the core of, of who we are here at Grumlaw, quick spoiler alert, we robbed all of these values straight from the life of Jesus. Which means if, if you're interested in becoming more like Jesus, they ought to become Brian values and Matt values and Angie values and Eric values and Carrie values. You kind of get the idea. Th these values in so many ways are central to what it means to be like Jesus, to literally live like Jesus. And, and both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, I think we can all agree, we don't need more people simply talking about Jesus, but we need people who are actually living like him, following his example. So to this point, uh, we've talked about several values. The first one we talked about is give it up what it means to live a truly generous life, to be generous in all areas, with our time, with our talents, as well as with our treasure. Uh, in week two, we talked about make it better. And in every situation we, we enter into, we have an opportunity to make it better, whether that's as simple as dipping down and picking up a piece of trash or taking something off the plate of someone else to make their lives better. And, and then last week, we talked about assuming the best, that in every situation, uh, we have the opportunity to fill the gap with trust or we can fill that gap with suspicion. And, and we, as followers of Jesus in particular, this is precisely what Jesus did for every single one of us, so we ought to follow his lead and assume the best in all of the people around us. And today, we're going to be talking about this value that we have aptly titled as Always Be Teachable. Now, the title here kind of tells the story, but this is how we Grumlaw would define this. In virtually every situation, there's something to be learned if we take a posture of humility. Teachability goes beyond a desire to learn, but a willingness, this is so important, but a willingness to change. In all situations, we will push ourselves to ask, what can I learn from this? Now, th there's a particular characteristic, a, a trait, a quality uh, that is very central to this value. It's actually kind of hidden in there. Uh, these two things are entirely inseparable. Anybody want to take a stab at maybe what I'm alluding to? Some of y'all are mumbling it right now on your couches. Yeah, uh, that word is, of course, humility. You, you, you simply cannot be teachable while also being prideful. Arrogance and teachability have nothing in common. You, you cannot assume the posture of the student without first clothing yourself in humility, without admitting that you still have something to learn. Uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I, I worked uh, with a guy who, uh, upon first meeting him, I was so impressed because he was just so incredibly knowledgeable. It would have seemed like he actually knew something about everything, whether it was, you know, fixing a car, hanging something in your house, finances. I mean, he seemed to know a little bit about everything. But as it turned out, as I got to know him better, it turned out I was wrong. He didn't just know something about everything. It turns out he actually knew everything about everything. I mean, quite incredible actually. And, and what you noticed about him is, is that people, as they got to know him better, and as they figured this out, that he seemed to know everything about everything, uh, people avoided him like the plague. He, he had no deep, he had no significant relationships with anyone beyond his wife. His know-it-allness had alienated him from the people around him. And, and while every single one of us know a person, or maybe two or three or four, more than we would maybe like to admit, who certainly fits that bill, I mean, we could all share stories this morning, all morning long about these people, and we could eye roll and gag just recounting their arrogance. Here's the reality. that There's some of this inside all of us. 
That there's a little bit of that inside every single one of us and probably more than we would like to admit. That there, there are blind spots in every single one of our lives. You, you have that area or areas where, where you have it completely figured out. Areas where people can't tell you nothing. Maybe it's your marriage, your parenting, maybe your political views, how to invest your money. But, but sometimes it's just way more trivial. Where to shop, which cleaning products to use, which type of soda, do you drink diet, do you drink zero? Maybe you're completely unteachable as it relates to, well, all of this. Conversations around church and faith and religion. Now, if you are watching right now and you don't admit that you're wrong every once in a while, if you don't zip your lip and listen every once in a while, if you aren't teachable every now and then, now very, very, very practically speaking, you ready for this? This is huge. No one will like you. I mean, you're just kind of like public enemy number one. I know that's really profound stuff that you're learning here today. But, but, but it turns out being teachable, putting on humility, extends beyond just the appearance that you are a likable guy or a likable gal. That, that there are far more practical benefits for you and the people around you, which we're going to explore here for a little bit this morning. And to do just that, I'm going to direct our attention to a passage of scripture that we find in John chapter 3. Now, if you're listening, you're watching right now, and you're new to this whole church thing, and you're like, okay, why does John 3 maybe sound familiar? John is one of the first four books of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are four books that document uh, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And John 3 might sound familiar to you because it is in that third chapter of John that we find undoubtedly the most famous verse in the entire Bible. Specifically, I'm referring to John 3, 16. And there it says, For God so loved the world that he gave, freely offered, his one and his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whether this is your thousandth time, you know, kind of tuning into a church, or your first time kind of exploring this whole church thing, I guarantee you that you have heard this verse before. Now, you might think, and I, I would understand this, that these rather famous words delivered by Jesus uh, were likely delivered to the masses at some big church service, maybe in a large temple, at least on a hillside where probably thousands of people would have been in attendance. But, but the most popular words right here that Jesus ever uttered were not delivered to thousands, not hundreds, I mean, not even a handful. No, no these words right here were actually a part of a conversation with exactly one person under actually the cover of the night. It, it was Jesus having a conversation with an individual who went by the name of Nicodemus. In, in the first verse, we're told this, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, now a Pharisee, if you're not familiar with that term, it, it was a particular sect of Judaism uh, that practiced this really, really strict adherence to the Jewish law. Uh, within the Jewish law, there were actually 613 laws. And uh, of all the laws, the Pharisees practiced the strictest adherence to those 613 laws. In fact, they didn't just try to follow these laws. They made it a priority to memorize them. I I'm not kidding. 613 laws memorized, and then they tried to follow them to the T. When it came to the religious elite and when it came to those Pharisees, Nicodemus, he was at the top of the food chain. To, to call him an expert in religion, that, that would be a gross understatement. When it came to religion, he actually might have known it all. 
Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I loved playing intramural basketball, even though I wasn't very good at, at basketball. And, and because I wasn't very good, I didn't want to be on a losing team. And so <laughs> I did this kind of sneaky thing where I was always kind of trying to weasel my way. And I've just kind of been good at this my whole life, just weaseling my way in the situations. Uh, I would always try to weasel my way under these teams uh, with the best players, that the teams that I felt like had the best chance to win the championship, because I had to win that championship, right? I mean, I needed that 3XL t-shirt. It was... It was a big deal for me. And so uh, my junior year, I got myself on the absolute best team. And the best player on this best team, and yes, we won the championship if you're interested, was a guy by the name of Brandon. Now, Brandon was just a really good athlete all around. In fact, he would actually later be drafted by the Atlanta Braves and play professional baseball. I mean, just a really, really good athlete. But, but as good as Brandon was at intramural basketball, he wasn't even close to a guy like, you know, the NBA playoffs are on right now. He wasn't nearly as good as, let's say, Kevin Durant. This is the type of gap that existed between Nicodemus and your average just Jewish guy. So we have my buddy Brandon, who's like somewhere down here, and then we have Kevin Durant all the way up here. And it's precisely this type of religious elitism that makes this next verse that much more shocking, that much more scandalous. It says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. In other words, Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, I thought that I had kind of all of this figured out, but it turns out I don't. You, Jesus, have come along and kind of completely flipped my world upside down. Tell me what is going on with you. And make no mistake about it, it is no accident that Nicodemus approaches and comes to Jesus at night. Because this would have been shocking to the masses that someone as established, someone as educated as Nicodemus was approaching Jesus in humility with all the teachability in the world saying, teach me, Jesus, what I apparently, the religious expert, do not know. Remember Pharisees, they were actually the group of people that would eventually have Jesus killed. Because with the exception of Nicodemus and maybe just a couple of others, the Pharisees, rather than being teachable, rather than approaching Jesus with humility, they took more of the, hey, we're going to dig our heels in and shut this guy up approach. Not inherently different, by the way, than the approach all of us often take when we know it all. So, so he comes to Jesus under the cover of night, and he begins to ask Jesus questions that he, that Nicodemus, has no answer to. It turns out the expert in religion doesn't have all the answers in the world of religion. We all, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, we would be wise to follow Nicodemus' example. Never stop asking questions. Never stop being curious. And I would add, especially in those areas where you think it ha you have it completely figured out, the areas that you think you know it all, use that as a trigger to just ask more questions. Are, are any of you watching right now, are you familiar with the acronym CME, anyone? Uh, what this stands for is Continuing Medical Education. Th th this is actually something that state law dictates for physicians, for, for doctors. 
Every year, whether it's an ophthalmologist, a pediatrician, an oncologist, or a neurosurgeon, they are all, both the DO and the MD alike, they are required to continue to educate themselves. Literally, laws force them to have documented anywhere between 20 to 50 CME hours every single year, even though they already went to med school even though they were already a part of a residency, even though they might be board certified, even if they graduated valedictorian, every single doctor is required to participate in this. And I think all of us, right? I think we'd all agree that this is is a good thing. We don't really want our 68-year-old cardiologist relying solely on the knowledge that he or she acquired during med school. We all, as well as state law, see and agree to the importance of continuing to educate oneself, on continuing to be teachable, moldable. Nicodemus, even by Jesus' own admission, he was hailed Israel's teacher. I mean, that's high praise, especially coming from Jesus. But he did not allow his status to get in the way of his teachability. And it would be his persistent almost annoying level, almost annoying line of questioning that would eventually lead to Jesus uttering those very famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, without Nicodemus clothing himself in humility, Without his persistent line of questioning, without his teachability, without the teacher assuming the posture of the student, we are never given these words right here by Jesus. That This statement, which is really the message of Jesus summarized in just one sentence, is never delivered without the teachability, without the humility of the supposed expert in religious law. Being teachable will lead to life changing moments, to life-defining, to life-altering moments. See, if Nicodemus isn't curious enough to start asking Jesus questions, if he doesn't put on humility and thus doesn't allow himself to be teachable, his life and subsequently his eternity would have never been changed. It's precisely because of his humility, his teachability, that made all of the difference, as Jesus references here, in his eternal life. But, but here is the even better news. This was not just a message for Nicodemus thousands of years ago. It's a message for you. It's a message for all of us. And it's that same posture of humility, being teachable, that has the opportunity to make all of the difference in your life and even your eternity. Jesus is extending that same invitation to you He wants to change you just like he did for Nicodemus and just like he did for Matt. Uh, Growing up, my faith was like going to church on Sundays. Um, I was raised Catholic. You know, at, at some point in my childhood, we stopped going to church. And at that point, it was get up early and go to church, and I wasn't getting out of it um, what I needed to get out of it. God really grabbed my attention, I think, a few years ago. Um, At our previous church, I um, attended um, an event at Spring Hill. 
I was mentoring the youth at our church, and so we had a handful of kids that we went with, and um, boy, I that was the first time I like really saw God working in me, and I was I can just remember sitting, we we're kind of off to the side in the back, and and I just had this overwhelming feeling of just ease and joy, just seeing how much fun and how 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 much love were you know were, were in all those kids and and even all those you know those, those faculty members and it was just a it was just an amazing experience and that that's really where it started uh, well we found out we found out about Grandma through um, our neighborhood so a bunch of our neighbors actually attended Grandma and Heather said hey we got to go to Grandma we got to check it out and I said, okay, let's do it. And so we did see a bunch of our neighbors there the first time we went, and uh, that was awesome, you know? And I just couldn't believe it from the moment we were walked up, you know, we're seeing guys flag us in, and then people are greeting us as we're walking through the doors, and everybody's smiling and laughing, and just, it had this amazing feeling. And um, so immediately I was like, wow, this is, this is cool so far, you know, we'll see what it's like. And, Within five minutes of the service, I knew I was where I had to be, and my wife did too. My life before this, my surrender to Christ was really, you know, just me trying to control everything um, from career to school to work to family, balancing all of that together. And I am constantly asking Him and going to Him for help and and I, I love that I can do that because I know that he will guide me where I need to go and what I need to do and it's just it's just a relief it just feels feels really good I, I just wish I would have realized sooner and that you know I would have not you know been timid and I wish that I could have let God in earlier in my life so I could have actually been even better and I think the big joy for me is that it's not too late it's never too late I have that opportunity and it's just making sure that I'm taking that opportunity and using it to its fullest potential my name is Matt Lesage and I'm getting baptized because I want Jesus to know and everyone to know that a relationship with him is the only way. I love what Matt talked about in there. It's never too late. It wasn't too late for Nicodemus. It wasn't too late for Matt. It's not too late for you. Now, let me ask you a question. What life-changing moment is waiting for you? What, what life-changing moment is waiting for you on the other side of you sucking up your pride? What, what life-changing moment is waiting for you once you put on some humility? Once you are teachable? Perhaps a restored marriage, a wounded relationship now healed, freedom from the burden of debt that has plagued you for literally as long as you can remember.
perhaps a different career? I mean, seriously, think about that. What is, what is your pride, what is your arrogance possibly standing in the way of? It, it might just be more significant, more life-altering than you ever imagined. It, it, is it your unwillingness to be teachable that, that might even be standing in the way of your eternity being transformed? And, and listen, I get it. it. It is almost impossible to comprehend that the Most High God would make the standard so simple. That the way that you would be declared righteous, which is just a fancy way of saying the way that you would get that right standing back with God, the way that that relationship with God would be restored, it has nothing to do with your past, the decisions that you've made. It has nothing to do with, with prior relationships, and it has everything to do with trust, with belief, with faith. Do you believe that the God of the universe looked down into our world, into the mess that we have created for ourselves, and he chose to get involved. And he did so by sending us his one and his only son, who then lived the life that we were supposed to live, that perfect life, and at the end of that life, he took the weight of your sin, and my sin, and all of our sin, on his shoulders, bared the death that was owed to every single one of us, but then three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, and with it, conquered your sin, our death, with it. And we're told that by putting our faith in Jesus, that just like that, we get that right standing back. That by trusting in him, we, we are back in the good graces of God. But, but like Nicodemus, we'll Will you not just listen to these words this morning, but, but believe them, and then behave with the confidence that you know they are true. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave, he freely offered his one and his only son, that whoever and that whoever includes you believes. This is where that belief, that trust, that faith comes into play. Believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. An eternal life that is freely offered to you. And so wherever you're watching at right now, um, wherever you're listening from right now, I just want to invite you to bow your head. And perhaps you have never put your trust in Jesus. And I want to make this so, so clear. It is not by praying a prayer that you get that eternal life. It is not by praying a prayer that gets you in the good graces of God. To make this very clear, it comes down to this word right here. Again, belief, trust, faith. Do you believe that God sent in his one and his only son for you? And it could be as simple right now, again, with your head bowed, as just saying, Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I messed up the relationship with you. But I also absolutely believe that you sent your one and your only son for me. That you would have died for me if it was just me to restore that relationship with you. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus came down to this earth, took the weight of my sin on his shoulders, but more than that, I believe that three days later he rose from the grave. Jesus, come into my life, and from this day forward, I vow to live for you. Amen. And we're told that just like that, we're in. We're back. See, whether you've put your trust in Jesus or not, I challenge every single one of us to return to this question over and over again this coming week. But better yet, 
make a habit of returning to this question literally for the rest of our lives. What life-changing moment is waiting for me? What would change with that person, with that relationship, with that situation? What would have the opportunity to improve, to change, to remedy, to deviate, to transform if I would just take off my pride, put on some humility, and be teachable? Nicodemus would say, my friend Matt would say, and I would say, but most importantly, Jesus would say, more than you could ever, ever imagine.